All right, Darren, I figured we start off this week uh, by watching something. I want you to look at this. Fellow executives, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. Dr. McNamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kenny. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kenny, use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. Okay, um, latent aggression much? Hi, this is Darian Bates. And this is Dr. Tobias Wilson-Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots. It's the podcast about how we make our technology. And how our technology makes us. Yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> really to put us in the right state of mind for talking about uh, robots and regulation. Uh, this is, of course, from the 1987 American cyberpunk action film RoboCop. Uh, for those of you who've been living under a rock, RoboCop, while while it you know it had a remake in 2014, I think with Samuel Jackson that that was kind of a flop, and and while it's had a lot of sort of tendrils out into the culture. I don't know if kids today are, are super aware of it. And as obviously our audience is mostly incredibly tech-savvy children. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're they're, the, they're the, 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 yeah, the it class. Well, so, so tell me, why are, we, uh, why are you showing me this 1987 uh, clip from uh, RoboCop? Well, so uh, a couple weeks ago, Andrew Burt, who's the chief privacy officer and legal engineer at Immuta, a data management platform for data science, published a piece in the New York Times saying, leave AI alone. Uh, and so it, it gave me this little idea of like, hey, do we need a robo-cop? Not necessarily uh, a robot cop, but do we need a cop for robots? Um, uh-huh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Because especially, you know, the, the language of this article, leave it alone, you know, don't police this. There's much to be lost by policing artificial intelligence. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, interesting. Uh, several things simultaneously. One, what does it mean to police artificial intelligence is obviously, uh, you know, Bert has, has some specific ideas on the subject. But then also, what is regulation? Because this is a term that, that, that gets a lot of mileage politically, but I'm not completely sure what it means uh, and how we talk about it today. Right, right. Well, hmm. That's, I mean, those are, that's a lot of questions. I mean, well, I guess let's, let me uh, start with a, uh, maybe a little bit of context. So I guess, I guess first off, this question of regulating 
artificial intelligence. Um, I think the, the first thing that jumps to mind for me about, I think, regulating artificial intelligence is artificial intelligence is a little bit like right now the way we're using the word collusion, which it <laughs> seems to, right, I'll, I'll let, let you use the context clues to where that's going. But what I will say is they're, they are both terms that seem to have specific meaning and specific almost legal implications, and yet neither of them really means anything from a legal perspective. Collusion isn't, there's no law against collusion, or at least there is a law against collusion. It has nothing to do with, you know, international diplomacy. It has everything to do with, um, um, you know, trade practices and commercial practices. You can, in fact, collude to fix the markets, but as far as colluding with a foreign government is not... There's nothing legally um, problematic about that. Um, so it's not a legal term. And, and artificial intelligence is similarly not a thing, weirdly enough. It is a concept. But there isn't actually some sort of universally understood set of practices that you would say, this is, a, this is, a, this is artificial intelligence. So right? it's kind there of, it's like, like natural foods. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, versus like organic, right? Organic has a very specific set of federally regulated um, term, you know, a criteria that says this is this is technically organic. Natural foods is just it's just a term that you throw onto something that um, expresses a essentially a set of characteristics that all appear to be thinking systems. Um, generally speaking, and, and look, this is coming from someone who is working on AI concept platforms, and I still want to acknowledge that it's it's more marketing than it is technically specific. Well, I think you it's know, interesting, really... too, when you have to say concept and platform, you know, like, there's this thing in theory called, like, the dangerous supplement, this idea that there's a problem, like every time you add an additional piece of information to an initial initial piece of information, it sort of robs that first piece of information of some mm -hmm. level of meaning. I like to think that it supports it and makes it stronger and more sexy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be like if, if a pitcher threw a perfect game and I was like, well, it was the first modern perfect game. Well, it was, like, right. well, it was the first modern nine-inning perfect game. Well, it was the first, I, I right, like each of these kind of reduces it. I work in marketing where in order to have something be the best, we're willing to throw in as many qualifiers <laughs> as we can possibly do so to get there. <laughs> the, the best single cup decaf coffee this yes, side of the Hudson exactly, River. Exactly. North of the Mason-Dixon line. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, so, I, but yeah, your point's well taken. And, um, and we, you know, using those kinds of phrases, I mean, what you're ultimately getting at is usually when we're talking about AI, we're talking about kind of a statistically driven decision making, often using things like predictive um, statistics, predictive algorithms and things like that. And in some ways, when you talk about it like that, we actually already do regulate um, a certain amount of our kind of predictive utilities, hmm. um, partic particularly um, things like 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 automatic uh, or automated lending algorithms um, or automated lending systems. Um, they're actually not allowed to ingest certain types of data to make decisions. I mean, not surprisingly, you mm -hmm. have the kind of the whole, um, you know, you, you, you can't kind of write a predictive lending system that takes ethnicity into account, right? Mm -hmm. Even if that data is available, 
the system can't ingest it. The system can't know it. It can't make decisions based on it. Um, and there's really laws. There's laws against that, right? So there are there are places where we are already applying um, regulations to the information that goes into these systems. But that's different than regulating kind of the whole conceptual system of AI, right? Um, it and in in some ways that's really kind of an unwieldy thing. To yeah. be able to say AI all needs to be AI needs to be regulated according to a certain set of principles. And and um, uh, so, I listened to a podcast the other day and immediately became an expert. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> no. That's how that works. Yeah, Can you imagine how many experts we're making right now? Every every time, Darian, this is <laughs> this is our gift to the world. Um, I listened nice. to a Radio Lab podcast on the Commerce Clause, and mm-hmm. what. What struck me as so very interesting about this is it it kind of broadened what I think about when I think about the word regulation, because mm-hmm. uh, this is a clause in the Constitution about regulating interstate commerce, but then it became, under uh, one expansion of its meaning by the Supreme Court, the ability to regulate not just what actually trades between states, but also what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So if you grow something and that changes your behavior as per the interstate market, that can also be regulated. Mm-hmm. And then it got right. expanded even further to be a sort of butterfly effect to it's like activity that you do that could affect someone's future interstate market activity. Right. Um, and right. A- apparently th- this, this was used in the cause of like uh, civil rights and this kind of thing, but uh, now it's kind of rolling backwards under a different... A different regime. Apparently, it has been since the the '90s under William Rehnquist. But what struck me as so interesting is that it's not just what you do, what what you don't do, and what you could do are also regulatable. Right, right. And the Commerce Clause is very interesting in that it, I've always thought of the Commerce Clause a little bit. I, you know, most kind of not most recently. Obviously, it's been used more recently than this. But kind of, it was a uh, it was heavily used in the insurance. Um, marketplace around the whole Obamacare oh, right, right. Um, legal structures, right? The, the the regulation around that, and actually, and it made it through kind of the, the the jurisdiction or the decisioning from the Supreme Court, and it kind of stood up to that, basically saying that um, healthcare, you could force people to buy healthcare because their decision to buy or not to buy healthcare is is regulatable underneath the Commerce Clause. Hmm. Um, because it affects because it affects the markets, right? Um, it affects it affects interstate trade, and it's it's a very interesting um, part of our I guess our constitution. In that it it's a little bit I've always thought of it as a little bit like the um, the broken taillights approach that a number of um, that kind of office, police officers often use that they there's so many different regulations about what your car has to be and how it has to look and you know you can't have overly tinted windows you can't have this if your tail lights out all that kind of stuff um, and it's always a it's it's always a reason to be able to pull somebody over there's always a reason it, I was talking to an officer one time I was like if I if we need to pull you over that we can pull you over like there's almost always something wrong with your car that <laughs> that's in violation <laughs> of something. Um, there's almost either always something wrong with your car or something that you're doing wrong with your car, um, but it's always it's always a reason to go do something that you that you feel like is necessary to do. Right, the civil rights um, 
laws um, and kind of the regulated, I mean, the associated um, actions around civil rights movement, I think we can all sort of agree are probably a good thing to have. Not, I guess we cannot all agree on that. Yeah. Most, <laughs> many 2018. People agree that, <laughs> right, exactly. Many people agree that the, that the, the broad thrust of the <laughs> legislation surrounding the civil rights movement was probably positive for this country. Um, and yet the, the finding the legal standing to do it, the idea that you have to rely on something like the Commerce Clause, is it feels a little bit like, all right, you needed something to base this on, but you needed something to base on, like, we need to take the right action, give us some way to regulate a right action. And really, when you get down to laws and regulation, regulation really isn't built to necessarily regulate right action. It's regu- it's it's built to kind of set a set of rules according to these other rules that are that in some cases are either outdated or were set a long time ago. In other cases, are are very almost conceptual in nature, and you need to find a way to be able to ground very practical things in that. So um, just just kind of a thought. I mean, in some ways, you raised the question about what is regulation, and I guess we're sort of toying with that idea as we kind of yeah. talk about that. And, and I think maybe one really kind of poignant way to give this to our readers is uh, imagine this. <laughs> a, a dystopian cyberpunk Detroit that, that has, has yeah. bottomed out Somebody should make a movie about this. Yeah, they really should. (laughs) Such that the local government essentially cedes control of the city to a corporation uh, Mm -hmm. in the hopes that that corporation will be able to produce uh, a new sort of corporate utopia called Delta City. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, the the plot of RoboCop. Um, And then eventually through some machinations... Uh, you have like this mechanized police force that that comes in and and straightens out Detroit and, and you know kind of quashes all local crime with with robotic efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one vision of what regulation regulation looks like when the wheels hit the road. A, a robot right. coming after local criminals. Right. It's very interesting. You know, I watched. I watched RoboCop probably, or rewatched. Actually, I don't know that I ever watched it originally. Obviously, I was a bit young in 1987. Um, but I, I, I watched it probably about five or six years ago. Um, and then more recently, I watched the movie um, Chappie, mm-hmm. which is um, a questionable name for the film, actually. It was one of those... Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I actually didn't know... I think I saw it on Netflix, and I ended up watching it. Um, I didn't know that it was a... Um, that it was by the same director that did District 9. So I started watching it, and it felt very RoboCopy. And in some ways, that's absolutely what it is. It's the same concept, except it's based in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same, strangely dystopian, and yet at the same time very familiar. And there's kind of that uncanny valley effect of... It's very familiar, and then the the dystopian quality layered into that familiarity makes it feel really eerie. And I felt like Robocop and and that film, I almost feel like that film, Chappie, is picking up from Robocop in the same sort of idea. And really it gets back to this, what you're saying in terms of what does it mean when we privatize our, our 
are security systems and that regulation in that case has actually been moved from something that is set down by kind of you know founding fathers and then those those who are carrying on the mantle and instead become a set of operating principles sort of um, almost prime directives in the kind of language of Robocop for applying power and force for for the the systems that have kind of been set up to be status quo systems right mm-hmm. and I think that's this so, is like the the important central term like the kind of Jenga block that this rests on is the status quo thing um, right because when when this guy in the Times says leave AI alone what what he thinks can be lost, what he, what he, the precious thing that he sees threatened is innovation. This idea mm-hmm. that this will actually improve the status quo, that, that there are any number of technologies dependent upon software that emulates human activity mechanistically, broadly right. under the umbrella of what we might call artificial intelligence. Um, and there's great danger in, in kind of boxing all of those things simultaneously. Well, and that's really interesting that if we think of regulation as essentially being the status quo reaction to change, whether it's positive change or negative change, it's nonetheless kind of the um, Milton Friedman, who I certainly don't always agree with, had this term or this kind of idiom that he coined was the tyranny of the status quo. Essentially that the status quo has... kind of an existing infrastructure of people and systems that benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And that any time you try to change off of it, the, you, you risk the possibility of those systems losing some sort of franchise value that they currently had. And so regulation in some ways is the, the structural systems that allow the status quo to continue function in what is seen as an optimal manner in that framework, right? Mm-hmm. This is how the status quo should continue to function. So regulation kind of, you know, aligns everything in that direction. And when people talk about reducing regulation, in many cases, what they're talking about is removing some sort of guards that allow something to move kind of in a new direction that might not be currently acceptable. And that could be, and it's kind of take me to the second point of context here, is something um, that may not actually be bad or good from a from a social perspective or from an economic perspective, but is, is maybe even trending or stepping upon something that might be very sacred to us. Um, and particularly, I, I'm going to bring up here kind of this when I think about regulating AI, I'm struck with this this kind of similarities to the reaction of um, following in 1996 when Dolly the sheep was cloned. I don't know hmm. if you remember that. Yeah. Um, but there's something very similar in the reaction to the way that we talk about regulating AI. And when we when we first kind of had mammalian cloning with Dolly the sheep, there was this kind of reaction of like we've got to regulate cloning. And what's really interesting to me, and I, um, you know, you, you, I've I've already talked to you about this, so so you already know. But if I if you ask the question of somebody, is like, is cloning legal or illegal, mm-hmm. or is human cloning? Illegal I I, I illegal? said illegal. I would I assumed that cloning people was illegal. Right, and it and it isn't. It's really sort of shocking in a way that it isn't. Now, 
that doesn't mean in a, that it isn't regulated. What it is is that there can be no federal funding for human cloning. Mm-hmm. And so even though there's no regulation passed and no legislation passed, for all intents and purposes, human cloning cannot happen in the United States because there isn't any federal funding for it. And I believe, although I might be wrong on this, there's even a limitation to federal funding, uh, in federal funding, to labs that do it, mm-hmm. that would even consider doing it. So there's, for all intents and purposes, it is regulated. Mm-hmm. And yet it isn't. It isn't in any legalistic capacity. Um, but even beyond that, I'm just really interested in this concept of we're having a, a similar reaction to AI that we had to human cloning. Yeah. This idea of these these technologies that really call into question this idea of, and I think it's a term that you told me, and I'm not sure the origin of it, but this concept of human specialness. Right. Yeah. This is Rodney Brooks uh, in his uh, early 2000s book, Flesh and Machines. He's the he's the former head of the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. Uh, he in, he invented the Roomba, if that's. <laughs> A useful point of that context. calls into question human specialness, also. Yes. Yeah, and uh, human specialness says whatever, whatever the thing is, whatever the sort of disappearing horizon of what defines us as quintessentially different from mechanisms that replicate our behavior, or from animals that essentially like also perform things like language or emotive care or culture or right, like that. that where do we place the thing that humans are that other things are not? Um, mm-hmm. And that they're, you know, yeah, I think cloning and uh, artificial intelligence are, are two particular frontiers where, where there's some question of, you know, is, is this destroying specialness? Is this, uh, right. once we pass this line, have we sort of gotten rid of our existential place in the universe in a way? Right. Right. And yet, interestingly enough, we both have not regulated it. And weird in some, and weirdly in some practical ways, have or at least regulated human cloning. And I suspect when we talk about regulation, if we can broaden the term into putting different types of mechanisms in place that limit the or or direct the innovation or direct the advancement of something in a certain direction over others. Yeah. Um, I suspect I suspect we probably will start seeing. A certain amount of regulation, even if it's just implicit guidance. Well, and this um, this is important because you're touching on one of the central plot points of RoboCop here. <laughs> hmm. uh, Go on. So, there's a corporation. the The corporation brings in this robot that we listened to at the at the top of the podcast, and it doesn't it it doesn't ultimately work. There's like no human in the loop. Uh, it glitches, murders someone horribly. Um, in the boardroom, yes. Yeah, in the boardroom. It's interesting. You know, RoboCop went through 11 X ratings before they were able to get it down to an R rating. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really interesting because it does feel profane. I have to say, the movie does feel borderline profane at times. Yeah, the 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 director and the and this and this the writer were both pushing, but especially the director, I guess, were really pushing for that level of violence to be like surrealist and shocking. The, the mm-hmm. idea that it was supposed to kind of take you, make you uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. and, but then they had to keep on dialing it back and dialing it back to actually <laughs> make it viewable. And then they also did, they added like the humorous advertising and stuff to try to lighten the tone. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, apparently the original Uncut is, is, is very graphic. 
Um, but anyway, so the, the, on the one hand, you have this fear of like a, a sort of robot that can have a runaway, just kill humans. You know, there's a glitch. I, 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 I had, used to have a thought experiment I used to like doing with my students where it's like at any given moment, there are roughly 500,000 people in the air uh, around the globe. Mm. Wow. If, if all. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, I looked that up at some point. I hope that's still true, or else it's a weird stat. I mean, if anything, based upon our airline podcast, check it out. Um, <laughs> maybe more now. Yeah. And uh, I was like, what if all of these planes flew without a pilot? And what if all of them were linked online? Mm-hmm. Could you have, like, one sudden act of, of unthinkable terror, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And people are like, oh no, yeah, there is there is really something just existentially horrifying about not having a human in the loop. Um, right. Right. And of course, then you go, actually, most planes fly from start to finish without a pilot touching the controls. You're then, right. oh, let's have a discussion. Right. Uh, <laughs> but so, anyways, this is one end of of where people are frightened by robots, you know, unregulated robots. Um, the other end of it, and sorry, this is getting back to your point about the implicit guidelines, not just the government oversight, but the implicit implicit guidelines and why that's troubling to people, is that RoboCop, he, he wipes out crime, then he finds out that the criminals that he's locking away are also linked to criminals inside the company that built him. Mm-hmm. But he has an internal regulating feature that does not let him hurt or or arrest people in his own company. Hmm. And this, I think, hmm. is I think another fear, another version of the status quo fear that like corporations, the the huge corporations in charge of these innovations, will implicitly regulate, you know, put their fingers on the scale in their own favor. Uh, and right. that without a system, a public system of public uh, of regulation, um, it, it will be very hard to see the, the mechanisms and consequences of that implicit regulatory function. You know, that's that's really interesting. And actually, I, I, I'm going to use that to dovetail into the, this final kind of contextual thought that I was having about this, which is we have this really, especially in America, where we we have this strange dynamic tension between regulation and freedom right mm-hmm. and I've, i i actually see it in kind of an interesting place and i did a little research on this because when i was thinking about well how do we regulate and how do we oversee systems and things like that and one of the ways that you regulate something um in especially in the american system is through like lawsuits, right? The court ultimately, if, if somebody oversteps, one of the things that we do is the court steps in and ultimately applies like this corrective, right? It says, no, you can't do that. Yes, you can do that. And, you know, one of the, one of the truisms of American um, legal systems, or at least perception of American legal system, is that the U.S. is a particularly litigious society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think you'll get very many debate, you know, arguments about that. But kind of like the cloning, uh, the cloning thing, it's actually fairly counterintuitive. It's actually the United States is not particularly litigious. We believe we are, 
there was a lot of regulatory language in kind of anything. You can't sign up for a single thing. You can't get a cup of coffee without having legal language attached to it. Um, and apparently, rightfully so. Apparently, if you really look at like the McDonald's uh, coffee case, the one that we all know about, um, McDonald's apparently kind of deserved it. And the person was not attempting to sue for very much money. I think the person was trying to sue for $60,000, I mean, $6,000 or something, or maybe $600, some, some fairly paltry sum for after getting two degrees, I mean, uh, two degree burns upon, uh, like over like 20% of her body. Um, right. Like she had a, she had a point. Um, and then because the, uh, Essentially, because McDonald's fought it, they got punitive damages that were even larger. And then the person who won would then like spent the rest of their life getting kind of jeered for this for you know this this thing. But but be, but those are in many ways the exceptions that prove the rule that actually there aren't a lot of lawsuits. Very a very small percentage of of any. Um, of any injuries as a result of some sort of, of mistake or some sort of um, error by a company are even even are there's even a claim made and even a much smaller percentage there's ever any kind of legal action like so we're surrounded by legal language that implies that we are a litigious society and yet we're, we're really not and yet when you when you when you talk to people about so think about the movie Aaron Brockovich. When you talk to people, um, the it, I forget when the movie was, but it's a movie about a you know a, suing a, a chemical company. Mm-hmm. And when you think about how do we feel about the movie Aaron Brockovich, right? She's heroic for for taking a stand against a a corporate malfeasance. And on the other hand, when you think about the person who sued McDonald's for the coffee burns. You, you can get a reaction out of people both, like almost the same person will have a reaction two different ways, which is, it's ridiculous. People are so, are so trigger happy with their law, you know, their, their legal actions. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, corporations aren't being held in check unless you sue them for something, right? Like we, the same person will argue the, the two different points, mm-hmm. almost right one right after the other. We have, we have a real tension between power and freedom, right? And yeah. And I'm, you know, and and that's where regulation kind of sits in that point. Do we want power? Do we want the, the the powers that be to apply control over society to prevent things from moving outside of the guidelines of the current status quo? Yeah. Or do we want the the powers that be to step back so we can move in a direction that is more free to either innovation and obviously someone who's working in AI wants more room to innovate, um, or you know, shoot anything you want on your own land, whatever whatever your sense of freedom is. Right, right. It's interesting to think about this in terms of uh, dystopian Detroit, too, because at what point do you regulate? Do you, do you regulate before the ravages of kind of modern industrial corporate globalism rip the guts out of Detroit? Like, is that when you mm-hmm. regulate? Or... Do you regulate? Do you like relax regulation so that a new corporation can come in and like establish a corporate utopia? Is that when you regulate? Right. Do you regulate right. when that corporation also proves corrupt and turns out right. to be creating like a, a new and even more sealed environment of like corporate gain? Like, where do you where do you step in, or is regulation just the corporation you know figuring out the best? RoboCop to to police your behavior, right? Well, you know, and let me 
you know, I, I can't help thinking about this this kind of fascinating switch that we're seeing right now in society. And I, you know, we I generally try to steer clear of politics when we talk about this, only because it is stops people from listening. I feel like people sort of pick, <laughs> kind of pick tribal sides yeah. rather than um, kind of really think about these underlying kind of questions. But it's really fascinating to watch right now as the regular, the kind of one of the chief regulatory bodies in the United States, the FBI, is almost in conflict with the executive authority of the United States. Yeah. And the, you know, the Democratic Party... Um, liberals in general have sort of always been at tension with the FBI. Um, the FBI is, you know, kind of had a traditionally conservative bent, and I think, and I and I would both say traditionally a conservative bent and also a traditionally conservative bent. In that the FBI's job ultimately is to kind of enforce the rules, mm-hmm. and the rules are in many cases inherently conservative. Right. Um, they are saying this is these are the powers that be. They're, these are the powers that set the rules. And if you're trying to kind of broaden the rules to accept a new population or to accept a new way of thinking, you know the 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 systems enforcing the existing rules are going to be fairly resistant to that. It's almost by definition. So the FBI has traditionally been, you know, not not a um, kind of an arch conservative body, but you could say has been you know mildly conservative. Yeah, so the idea that there's a it's interesting. This is like Scalia used to talk about sort of like constitutional originalism and the role of Supreme Court this way, that, look, we're here to interpret and enforce the laws as they're written, whether mm-hmm. or not we agree with the existence of that law. The right. democratic process should elect new representatives to create new laws for us to interpret them newly right. <laughs> right. Um, exactly but our job isn't you know yeah the mechanism of oversight isn't to like legislate and create new freedoms or new liberties or new equalities it's just to adjudicate the existing system right and there's kind of a there's a little bit of a disingenuousness to that that I think even Scalia rest in peace would would probably acknowledge maybe in his most honest moments which is you it's like there's a Heisenberg principle Heisenberg uncertainty principle to kind of interpreting the laws is that once you look at it and say this is what I see you end up kind of affecting what it is oh yeah I mean well look at the commerce clause I mean it's just right you know right exactly it's like but but nonetheless I mean I'm 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 very interested in this kind of question we're in this we're in this interesting dynamic right now where you're you know maybe maybe people and and um, a party even the Democratic Party which has been traditionally sort of suspicious of regulation right now is sort of um, not regulation the Democratic Party has kind of been has sometimes been accused of being the party of regulation but has been suspicious of um, kind of the application of law enforcement through the FBI and they've sort of been suspicious of that as sort of a conservative body. Um, but now we're like somebody. Somebody's got to step in and apply some level of rules to a um, to what is perceived to be a fairly egregious overstepping of just mores, kind of traditional um, political mores. Is that something? Yeah, and um, and to wrap it back to our original touch point too. So, do you think that the development of AI has had egregious overstepping, or at least you know, seems to be 
perhaps giving us some early indications that that kind of grievous overstepping could happen if not regulated in the near future? You know, I see, I, I haven't seen a lot of that yet. and But that doesn't mean that there isn't a kind of real potential for misuse and abuse of AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, I, you know, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, I certainly see things like high frequency trading algorithms as potential as being, you know, fairly egregious in their the way that they're applying kind of lightning fast decisioning um, that are very profit oriented um, and sometimes taking advantage of people. But you know, I mean, that's Wall Street has never been a place of real um, kind of good behavior. <laughs> um, I I haven't seen a lot of like real like egregious ex- um, abuses by AI. But but I think we're both, it sounds like we're both kind of saying in our own ways that regulation in some way, shape, or form is likely to happen. Yeah. And this is also, this is also part of the punchline of that New York Times piece where he says there should be regulation, there already is regulation, the regulation should be extremely case-by-case and targeted not mm-hmm. towards the broad category of artificial intelligence, but rather towards these little subcategories that require various kinds of oversight. Hmm. Well, you know what this sounds like? Hmm. Sounds like it's probably time for Apocalypse or Utopia. So, if I understand kind of your original question, it seems like it's a little bit of a two-parter, but it sounds like is the movement to regulate AI going to be beneficial or damaging? Is is it going to lead to apocalypse, apocalypse or utopia? Right. And by regulating to what AI, is it happen? by regulating AI, are we smothering the innovation baby in its cradle, or are we saving ourselves from an innovation baby? murder monster right (laughs) well i guess i'll i'll take a first pass at this um so again just to reiterate for those who are stepping in for the first time one being this is leading us down the path to a kind of an apocalyptic end or even maybe a dystopian end Mm -hmm. a um, cyberpunk end a cyberpunk end, yes. And then on the other way, a 10 being it is leading us down towards kind of a utopian vision of the future. And in some ways, I feel like in this case, uh, we probably should describe both the degree to which we expect regulation to happen and and the outcome of what we think uh, that will be. And, you know, hmm, 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 hmm. That is, that is tough. Ooh. I think I think you've tricked yourself by making this a two-parter. I would say, make it one, let's say AI, artificial intelligence, the broad category, gets regulated. How bad or good is that downstream? And then we can maybe, uh, as like a postscript, talk about how much we actually think is going to happen. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Well, so, I'm going to say the application of regulation into this broad category of AI I don't know that it is a great thing. <laughs> I'm probably going to, but I, I, I also feel like 
God, it's such a moving target. So I, I would probably give it a four. So it's, I would say that it's, it's moving us away from an optimal scenario. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, f- but because I feel like the regulation, I believe, follows kind of an optimal status quo. Like people who you end up in a status quo and you say, ah, this is this is good. We should regulate things so it stays like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when people get really uncomfortable is when you see regulations move or when things become so egregious um, that people start applying regulations. I think about like a lot of kind of the the EPA regulations that I think a, a, a lot of companies apparently are now being ruled back to a certain degree, but um, were really put in place. I think early seventies through the eighties. Where because you know many of the pollu- pollutants and polluting conditions that were were kind of becoming manifest during that time were, were becoming intolerable, you know, and and I think people responded to that and and the regulating bodies sort of reacted. Um, I I feel like it's we could probably do with less regulation um, at a time of innovation and especially because I think the regulation won't sort of be optimal in who it privileges. Mm-hmm. I think the more regulation you put in place at a time, I think you do end up with the sort of tyranny of the status quo where the people who benefit most from regulation will probably be people who are protecting their own territory. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that's not great at a time when, when AI has a real potential to kind of break down some biases and some borders and some some entrenched interests. And I think I probably sound a little free markety by saying that. <laughs> and I, um, but I, I do think AI has a real potential. You know, this, this harkens back to a couple of topics that we've talked about in the past, but I do think AI has the potential to, if built correctly, the, these thinking systems and decision systems, if built correctly, um can get beyond some of the inherent biases that are in um, kind of bureaucratic systems or even in commercial systems. And I think AI can can move us in that direction. And I think putting too much regulation in place, I think, isn't going to be great. So I'm going to I'm going to go with four. Sorry, I, I, that was a long explanation. <laughs> of it, but I think I found my I found my footing there and I'll, I'll stand stand by it, assuming a small gust of wind doesn't blow me in some other direction. All right. Well, let's, I, I'm going to bring a, a small gust then. I'm going to say a six. Oh, oh, you are pro-regulation for AI. Yeah, and, and I'll give you some reasons why. Um, in the movie RoboCop. <laughs> I'm basing it on the movie RoboCop. This Go is on. my shtick, man. <laughs> this is what I do on this podcast. Um. I actually think it's a mistake for the local government of Detroit to cede control to a corporation. Mm-hmm. I think that there's kind of they're, you're breaking the social contract by ceding the field for regulation and control to private corporate entities. Um, because I think mm-hmm. a corporate entity, in some ways, is, is, is legislated to act in its best interest or its stockholders' interest or whatever. And the local government. Also, Friedman, by the way. Oh, interesting. Well done. Yes, he he insisted that you have a fiduciary responsibility to your um, uh, your your shareholders. So, uh, assuming that 
gerrymandering or disenfranchisement or whatever has not utterly destroyed the, the system, the ultimate system of democratic checks and balances, which is, of course, election. Um, there, there is ultimately a way to give feedback and control a local government. There is not the same kind of mechanism at play for a corporation. And I mm-hmm. think what the New York Times piece worries about is a kind of legal tangle with this broad term artificial intelligence that uh, kind of cripples the field. I I don't necessarily see that happening because Mm -hmm. I I actually think we do need to have that talk. I mean, there's a a lot of really like handsome young scholars teaching at Georgia Tech who are great at talking about this kind of thing. Um, Do they... Are they all, in fact, handsome? You, Georgia Tech draws from this 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 Venn diagram of handsome and tech. There's at least one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, which is all. I mean, I mean I, all joking aside, like we have freedom of speech. We have right. a, a freedom to assemble. You know, we have freedom of the press. That like coming to difficult, difficult legal tangles that that are, are constantly tripping us and. Uh, about what speech is or about what freedom is, or it's important. That's like the the nature of governance and sort of like democratic discourse is wrestling with these terms. And if artificial intelligence, as I, I think is very much the case, uh, and who knows, may someday even be part of how we're wrestling with something like personhood, as indeed it is in RoboCop, um, then it, it actually, we do need a regulation. We need precedents and we need conversations and we need expertise operating not just at like the corporate level but also at the 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 legislative level to to oh. think these complex thoughts this is this, this is also i mean in some ways elon musk's i'm position. not entirely certain that i've been impressed by the ability of the legislative level to think complex thoughts recently at least yeah yeah and 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 that's a, a scary thing right now for this country like the the amount of sort of broken trust and and feeling of disenfranchisement with like a kind of implicit social contracts. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we are going to toss those out, then we should have a revolution. If we're not, Hmm. then we should make the best versions of those things that we can have. Understood. So you you say these things should be regulated, and I say, ah, but who's going to bell that cat? (laughs) Robocop! Robocop. That's what we need. All we need is is a third of a human body wrapped in in techn- technological weaponry to pass something through Congress. Yeah, got it. <laughs> that might be all that can do it. Oh man, I feel pretty good about this. I think we landed it. I think we've convinced pretty much everyone of nice everything. Nice. I think we carry shrugged it. I think I managed to <laughs> sprain my ankle halfway through it, but still pull off just enough of a uh, of a, of a print oh, to win the gold. Man. I think I carry shrug every day, man. <laughs> exactly. Look it up, people who haven't didn't watch <laughs> yeah. the 1994 Atlanta Olympics. <laughs> All right. Well, next time we'll uh, we'll figure out what we'll talk about, and in the meantime, um, good luck. Have a great week. Thanks. You too. Love you, man. Love you too. Bye. Bye.